so there is a way in which some of us and all of us in this room can cultivate the perceptions and the strategies and the tools that enable us to embrace change from that sense of possibility and expansion, even, even when we've got great pain happening. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent. This is where high achievers and leaders come to work healthier, not harder. Where hustle culture zigs, we zag so you can thrive in your career, health, and relationships. My name is Carly Fain. I'm a celebrity business and boundary coach, and whether I'm working with Grammy award-winning artists, professional athletes, Fortune 50 CEOs, or just folks that enjoy both progress and the present moment, my intention is to make sure that you have both a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hey there. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. It is your gal, Carly. And whether you have been with us for this entire season on navigating change, or hey, maybe the last three years of episodes, or if today is your first one, I'm so glad that we get to be in this conversation together. And I want to start this episode because it's a special one in a slightly different way. So cozy up for a moment and whatever that means for you where you are, because I want to deliver a professional love note at the top of this episode. More specifically, a message about how much you are navigating right now well, what you're doing well. Because sure, I'm sure that there are 20 tasks you still want to get to and at least five things you wish you were more skilled in. Or if you're like me, there's probably at least 10 places at the top of your brain where you suspect you could have handled the situation better. And that's the nature of being a high achiever. We see the places where there is room for growth easily. But today, I also want you to see this. I want you to see that you are accomplishing daily wins. That perhaps the laundry got done, or you did send some emails, or you called that person back. You know more today than you did a year ago. You know more than you did a month ago. Heck, you know more now than you did even just a week ago. And we are in a moment right now as we all navigate change that requires us to tell ourselves the whole story. Stories that acknowledge the wholeness of who you are as a person and who we are as a community. Stories that explain what we still need to work on and what we're already doing well. And look, I know when we zoom out to start to look at the whole story and take a bird's eye view of the bigger picture of who we are, we might start to see past the former edges that defined us, things that we associated with who we are in the world, our career title or our type of relationship or a certain type of health. And if we're brushing up against new edge, sometimes that feels like the bump of driving over a sidewalk curb onto a new road. And sometimes those edges are the last refuge before a vast opening of a cliff into something big and uncharted, and we don't even know where to begin. And I often think about what if you're jumping one of those metaphorical curbs or you're sizing up the vastness of this huge cliff in front of you, and you still have responsibilities and people counting on you. And maybe you're the go-to person for lots of folks. Well, that's why the field of positive psychology studies resilience and how to bolster our capacity for flourishing, even in hard moments. And we are so fortunate to have Dr. Maria Sawa on this week's episode. So you might have caught that this is the final episode in a six-part series this month on navigating change. And this topic is one that Maria and I have been teaching around for the last five years. And if there is one thing we know about people who are able to navigate change well, it's that wherever possible, they don't go it alone. They link arms with those that can be a dry rock for them when the waters are rising or a partner on the path that hasn't been forged yet. And so we tried something new, and you're going to hear it on today's episode. This was something really special. We hosted our first ever live recording of Messy and Magnificent a few weeks ago, and we invited folks to join Maria and I for a custom workshop where we could practice 
applying real tools to our current circumstances. And we called it hunting the good, seeking and savoring what is good during change. And that's what you're about to hear right now, the recording of this live community session. And I want to tell you, if you missed it and you're kind of bummed about it, it went so well that I promise this will become a mainstay in our future episodes. So if you're not already on my email list, go get on that. There's a link to it wherever you're listening right now. We don't do spam, but I'll be sure to let you know the next time we do a live episode recording like this. It was really powerful to have everyone in the room. And part of the strategy for doing this is that I just don't think we get enough time to pause and integrate. A lot of us are expected to go from one thing to the next to the next. And having a moment to process in real time allows us to do what Maria Sawa calls pausing just long enough to get wise. And we could all use a little bit of our wits and wisdom right now. So that's what you're going to hear in today's episode, the science behind grounded optimism in times of upheaval. And I'm not talking about, you know, sparkles and unicorns and everything coming up roses. I'm talking about the real life ways our messy and magnificent community is navigating change in this moment in such a way that they can flourish even when challenged. Maria is a masterful storyteller, so she's got great examples, very current and specific research around what is allowing people to thrive in this moment, and then a practical tool that you'll get to use just like we did live to get the best out of this moment today. So I'm going to keep this intro super short because you're about to hear it all in the recording, but there's two things you need to know first. Number one, there is a free navigating change guidebook that goes along with this season that will serve as both a lamp and a ladder as you traverse the changes in your own career, health, or relationships. You can go get a copy of it, my treat, at carlyfane.com forward slash podcast, or there's a link to it right here in the show notes. It will take you even deeper into the content Maria shares today. And because this recording happened via Zoom, we were putting some links in the comments on Zoom to resources that we mentioned. So just know that those resources and anything else we mentioned in this episode can also be found right here in the show notes, wherever you're listening. Or again, go to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast, and it's right here in today's episode. And then number two, as folks were entering the room for this Zoom call where we recorded this episode, I asked them to share what comes up when I say the phrase navigating change. Because for Maria and I, it's really important that when we're with you live, we get to speak to what's present in the room and that the content we're creating is relevant here. So this gave us kind of a landscape of the types of changes in the room, and you're going to hear what they are in a moment. And because this was being recorded, I also suggested that if anybody there live wanted to change their screen name to protect their privacy, they could. In fact, they could even give themselves the name they really wish they had. And the rest is history. I'm curious to see, Maria, what's in the room? What are you noticing here? I'm stuck for a minute on the name I wish I had. Like, <laughs> the name that I give myself. So, hi. Hello, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you. Navigating change really comes about because of our deep awareness that the shifts in our lives, some of them are welcome, anticipated, planned for, and some of them are unwelcome, unanticipated, and extraordinarily complex in terms of knowing where to go next. And holding all of that in terms of what you've posted in the chat, we have you know questions of navigating loss, employment, moving forward, retirement, self-employment, health, children who are growing on a daily basis, a move. So we, we were touching so many territories or domains of this notion of what it means to navigate change with, you know, I, I this morning, the metaphor of the boat, you know, a steady enough boat with enough wind in the sails and clarity about where to head that North Star clarity and the right people on board with us. So, so we don't have to do this alone or don't have to try to do it alone. Thank you for already holding space for what's in the room. And we named the podcast Messy Magnificent very intentionally that lets me be human. And one thing I would love to do is give Maria a proper introduction right now. That would be, that would be my ideal thing here. So if you haven't met Maria yet, 
She is a positive psychologist and a seminar leader. She teaches internationally, really at the intersection of resilience and flourishing. And she's known for her wisdom, her authenticity, rampant humor is definitely her game. And whether she's working with corporate audiences, nonprofits, or in workshop groups with people like us, she offers this wealth of perspective for those who are seeking personal transformation and an increase in meaning and happiness and health. So I know Maria to be one of the most masterful storytellers and orators that I have ever had the pleasure of witnessing. She's also written a short course in Happiness After Loss and Other Dark Difficult Times and Everyday Counts, two books I highly recommend. But I also want to say, in addition to her professional bio, Maria is one of my dearest friends, somebody that has been a competent, somebody that I can go to in process. And we sip tea and we hunt for crystals and TJ Maxx and all the fun stuff in between too. So any opportunity to gather with Maria is always a gift. And this workshop comes from that of, hey, what cool thing could we do next together here? So Maria, I'm curious for you. There's a question we always ask at the top of every podcast episode, and everybody here, you're kind of getting an inside peek because normally this is edited out. Me asking this question isn't included in the episode. The answer is the first thing you hear. So here's the behind the scenes question. When we are talking about navigating change, Maria, what in your head or your heart wants to be heard relevant to that today? There has been so much distress that every single person in this room and listening in has experienced, some of which cannot be named. It's ineffable. It's too big. It's ambiguous. The the losses, the shudderings, the shatterings, the distortions of life as it had been. There's so much distress that I do believe that we all are in a time where we need a lifeboat and myself included. And that this notion of hunting the good, which we'll get to in a moment, looking for the positive, it is the lifeboat. It is the life raft. It is what's going to keep us alive long enough to land someplace that is the next better place for us. Mm, You do metaphor so well, Maria. Thank you for that. So for those who don't know, Maria began her career as a psychologist, working with children with terminal diagnoses and their families in medical settings And helping them navigate what I'm imagining, Maria, you correct me if I'm wrong here, are some of the toughest and also most meaningful moments that these parents and children and families could be having. And so I'm curious, how did that work in that field help you bring about a focus on resilience and positive psychology? How did you go to positive psychology from there? (laughs) You know, it's funny because just yesterday I was driving by the funeral home of a woman in my county who lost her youngest of four children to a brain disease when the child was maybe four or five years old. And I worked with the family while her daughter was dying. And the mom, I'll call, I'll make up a name. The mom's name was Belinda. And um, I was fascinated by Belinda's capacity to care for this child who had a seizure disorder and so needed 24-hour care. So there were constantly nurses and aides in the house while helping three, two, uh, two middle schoolers and a high schooler move forward in their lives. And I would watch Belinda every single day was a crisis in some way or another. And she, she did this for four years. And the dad left the home once the daughter was diagnosed, the dad left. And so she was a truly a single mom. And after her daughter's funeral, she and I went for a cup of coffee and she said, how is it possible that every cell in my body hates life right now? And every other cell in my body is so grateful that I've had all the opportunity I've had to love my daughter, to help my children, because I know that we've gone through this, we can go through anything. And that's what I saw over and over again, Carly, in working in the hospital environment with kids with life-threatening illnesses. I saw parents, family members, siblings, and friends, like teenage friends, just grow and rise through hell. And the changes you all have mentioned may not feel like hell. Some of them might feel like rich opportunity, but so true that, I mean, some of us have opportunity come our way and we act like 
we've, we act like we've been given a burden, like, Oh, would you like a promotion? No, you know, like, you know, like, so there is a way in which some of us and all of us in this room can cultivate the perceptions and the strategies and the tools that enable us to embrace change from that sense of possibility and expansion, even, even when we've got great pain happening. The room for both to exist at the same time. I'm curious for those that are here with us. What do you notice about what Maria just said? I just feel like it really resonates right now. I'd written something that I haven't shared with anybody this weekend about because it was Mother's Day weekend and sort of about parenting and how it's so good and so very hard. And I mean, I can't even imagine um, what Belinda went through, but we have someone in our community that's, that's struggling with something, a child and, and, oh, it's just, I'm just feeling your words and really they're comforting as much as they're bringing tears. It just reminds me of, of our resilience, our strength. And I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah. Thank you for your tenderness. Sandrine, the word and. Yeah, we can feel this and that. We can think this and that. We can try this and try that, you know. Yeah, I see what Meredith put in there, that all the feelings are true and real and important and how important it is to notice the fullness of what we can experience. Yeah, Karen said, holding the dichotomy. There it is, both, both at the same time. Well, and that that leads me into my next question for you, Maria, really beautifully, which is this particular workshop that we're doing here today is called Hunting the Good. And you picked that name. You got really excited (laughs) about that name. You wanted to talk about seeking and savoring what is good during times of change. Talk to me about why does hunting the good matter, particularly in this moment? Why is it relevant now? Yeah. So let me tell you where that phrase comes from. So positive psychology is the science of human beings at their best. It's the science of wellness and thriving and performance and engagement and just loving life as life is. We have a number of practices and perspectives that really are in alignment with building positivity in one's day and noticing the good outside oneself as well as inside oneself. So practicing gratitude, for example. Well, when positive psychology and resilience material come together, it's a tremendously impactful learning. And the United States military was so impressed with the science that was coming out of Penn and other organizations that they purchased a massive, a $30 million resilience training package a number of years ago to train military leaders in these positive psychology, resilience-based practices So that infantry men and women could be sent around the globe and know that they could come back from war zones, not just having gotten through, not just experiencing post-traumatic stress, but experience growth, like the family I just told you about who lost their baby girl. Well, the military, they have their own jargon and they, they were not into seeking the good or finding the good. They labeled the whole program, hunt the good. So that's where it comes from. And It implies two really important factors. One is happiness, thriving, resilience through difficult moments, through moments of change are an inside job. We actually have to take action. We have to seek or hunt or find or uncover that which is sustaining. The second part of the phrase, the good, refers to whatever is in us and around us that actually nourishes us, that provides vitality and health and energy. So if I practice appreciation for the fact that we have a beautiful sunny day out here, if I really sit for a moment in the presence of the gift of the fact that there is a warm sun and no flower that I planted three weeks ago is going to die today because of a sudden snowstorm, if I'm really in that appreciation and I, you know, I've sought it. What I've done is reminded myself, I can choose what to pay attention to. I can choose what to nourish my heart and my spirit with. And I can choose to spend more time there because I know that the good is actually sustaining. It provides respite. It builds the neurochemistry of a brain that can hold both more easily, the dark and the light, the hard and the easy, the sorrowful and the hopeful. So, so many good things happen when we get attuned toward seeking the good. That phrase, when you said appreciation builds the neurochemistry 
of the brain. That one was, was one that landed with me and that we could see the plasticity in our neurology and get to have a little influence, a little purview over what it is we're, we're cultivating there. Yeah. And so when you talk about this concept of learned hopefulness, what does that mean? Because you gave me a peek, but I don't know. I don't know anything about this. Maria kind of like teased me with the subject matter. What is this learned hopefulness? Let's just go back to where we're starting from. Some of us in this room are navigating loss. We're, we're navigating opportunity in terms of different ways of working in the world. We're navigating a move. Some of us are, are dealing with children who we love and drive us crazy. All, you know, that's all in the room. We've got some health concerns. So different territories. But what, it, what we know to be universally true for human beings is that when we can stay grounded in practices and perspectives that are nourishing and sustaining, we actually build a kind of inner hope. Now, the hope that we build is not that everything's going to be fine because it's not. The hope that we build is not that the universe is going to send me the perfect gift every moment because it won't. The hope that we build is twofold. One, that I can find a way through this moment. And two, that I can find a way through this moment that actually brings me to a slightly better next moment. Maybe that's a slightly better afternoon, a slightly better tomorrow. For some of us, maybe it's a slightly better next year. But hopefulness is not, we think of it as almost a kind of wishing or faith. It's not. It's actually building with an internal understanding that we can actually take that next step forward in such a way that we actually cultivate a greater sense of hope for the next moment and then the next moment after that. Okay, so we have a practice here on Messy and Magnificent. And when we do workshops, well, I'll often say, if you were listening with your pencils, for some of you, I saw you know, us taking notes or I, I throw things in the chat. What are you hearing about this idea of hope? Not as something, not, not, a, not as a, of a wishing or necessarily of a praying, but more of an action word. What comes up around that? I think that something that comes up around hope is that you also have to embrace what's happening and, and acknowledging that it is a process. So knowing that this is a, you are hunting the good. This is that you have, you are going through a change, but not fighting it, embracing it, letting the change happen for what it is. I'm personally going through not only a move, but a transition within my job. So it's a twofold for myself and it's finding the balance of not fighting the process, but letting the process go through naturally and letting, the, letting myself know that it might not be today that's going to be better. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week, but there will be a point in time that the change will be embraced gradually. And it is a process. You know, Ryan, you said so many powerful things there. The first is that that notion of acceptance. So the model of that's emerged both in leadership development research and in the medical community, the model of true hope versus false hope is that we first have to face reality exactly as it is. That's a, that acceptance that you talked about. But if we only face reality, sometimes we are devastated. Yes, sometimes reality is excruciating. What we have learned through the science of pause psych for the last three and a half decades is that there's also always present another reality, the devastating, as well as that which nourishes and sustains and moves us forward. That perspective that you offered us, Ryan, that, you know, today might not be better. Tomorrow night might not be better. It might be a week or a month from now. That's a wisdom perspective that we're always actually looking for within ourselves, which is the reality that I, you know, I might start practicing gratitude today, or I might, we have a, a hopefulness tool that I'm going to introduce to you in a few moments. We might start practicing that. I might not feel better today. And yet, if I continue to practice, the gains are going to grow such that a couple of weeks from now, I look back and I go, hmm, I actually am in a better place because I have focused my attention. Now, the reason we're talking about hope in terms of what we're hunting, the good here, we're hunting hope is because we know that people who are higher in hope true hope, not false fantasy hope, but who are higher in hope are healthier. They bring more pe people toward them. So more connections, which, and the more connections we have, the more information comes our way, the more wisdom comes our way, and the more care comes our way. 
high hope people tend to be experimental. Like they take risks or they do things a little differently. I always go to that coffee shop. I'm going to try this coffee shop. I always talk to these four people at work. I'm going to, you know, have a conversation with that person and see what happens. So they make experiments and it's the making of experiments that actually broadens our capacity to navigate change. So hope is crucial. And I love, I totally 1000% agree, Ryan. First, we have to start with facing reality. I'm just looking at Kelly's note in the chat, the reality of now and the reality of possibility, right? That we are capable of as human beings of holding paradoxical thoughts and understandings at the exact same time. And that's the beauty of the healthiest of us, by the way, and the most resilient is we have pain and joy. We have sorrow and kindness. We have frustration and generosity operating at the same time. This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy, the place that motivated women come to reclaim their time, energy, and clarity, both on the spot and for the long haul. So if you're craving more authenticity or your body is telling you it is tired of being tired or you're just so over going over loops in your mind about the next best steps for yourself, well, you can get free access to the Boundary Brunch recording where I share the three things that women who already have healthy, sturdy boundaries know and do. It's a game changer and it's totally free with nothing for sale in there. Visit carlyfane.com to get access and get spacious today and replace any accidental people-pleasing with peace of mind. One of the things I really appreciate about what you, those examples you just gave, Maria, is that, that they aren't the inverse necessarily. You could say frustration and generosity. And that to me feels like a, a more realistic truth there, right? It's not, oh, I'm totally scared about this move and I'm really excited about this move. Sometimes, but it's not necessarily that it's the, that it's the inverse. It's that it could be two things, one that's life-giving and one that where we're feeling all the feels at the same time, but they don't necessarily have to be the inverse of each other to be true. So there's a question that chat from Karen I wanted to bring back. Our thoughts trigger certain neuronal connections and we build neuronal connections throughout our lifetime. That's the field of neuroplasticity. So if every morning I'm waking up saying, I hate this life, certain neurons are being triggered or I'm afraid of this change, certain neurons are being triggered. And if for 30 days or 90 days or a year and a half, I'm thinking, I hate this change, I hate this life, I am absolutely wiring those neurons together so that my brain actually starts to look and feel like a brain that is pretty pessimistic, maybe a little anxious and depressed, not certainly not hopeful. Integrating in the positive psychology tools, what, what starts to happen is, you know, you're going to wake up in the morning and say, oh my God, I hate this change. I hate this life. And you're going to take a breath and you're going to go, and I'm so grateful the sun is out today. Now you're triggering different neurochemicals and you're starting to build a brain that has the facility to be in that negative pessimistic place and pivot more easily to a place of grounded optimism or grounded hope. Now, because learning happens throughout our lifetime, the habits of our thinking and the habits of our behaving make a profound difference. So when I was young, I often tell the story in my 20s until I got into graduate school, I didn't even realize I was waking up every morning saying, I hate myself, I hate my life. Well, that starts you off on a kind of dark foot for the day. It, you're kind of, I'll just speak for myself. I was kind of pissy, irritable, and I was a little scared. I was a little, you know, when I then began to study and practice these things, began to change the neurochemistry in my brain. I had a brain that was more easily able to say, oh, I hate myself. I hate my life. Oh my God, there I go again, doing the dark thing. I don't need to do the dark thing. I've got other tools. Here's, where's a tool? Like I need a tool. I call Car Carly, wants it to like remind me what else is out there and I could hunt the good. That's a whole different start to the day. Does that make sense? So our neurochemistry affects our behavior. Our behavior affects our neurochemistry, our thoughts affect both, you know, that's all integrated. Meredith, there's an important distinction between turn that frown upside down and seeking evidence. Meredith, can you unmute and say a little bit more? Cause that's really important. Yeah. I'm just always so aware of there's a tendency, I think in our culture to want to just 
go hyper positive when, you know, part of what you're saying is we are in moments that deserve the emotion, sometimes the hard emotion that we're feeling. And that that shift towards positive, in my mind, can only happen when it feels like truth to us. We can't just plaster on a mask of positivity or say the thing that we think we're supposed to say. And that that shift often happens in very small increments to where it can feel real and true that I'm, I'm feeling awful and sad and miserable today, but I can tolerate that looking at that bud on my new, you know, my, my shrub <laughs> that's beginning to, to open. And that moment gives me just 10 seconds of a different feeling today. And I, I believe that. I can believe in that feeling and that shift. I love that perspective. And I'm curious, you know, Meredith, for you and, and for Maria, you know, this idea of, of not bypassing, right? Of not quickly, you know, ascending to, oh, I should be feeling like, and, you know, I was, I was raised in a yoga ashram and they, they called that premature transcendence. Like there was a term for that, like, oh, that's quick, you know, look at the good here. And I think there's something really honest, but also perhaps requiring courage or some of the tools you're about to share with us, Maria, if we really are going to acknowledge what is hard to accept, you know, or what is hard to sit with. And so I appreciate this perspective. It feels so grounded, Meredith, what you're offering and the level of willingness to be with what is, isn't always an easy thing. In fact, it's often not an easy thing. And so I appreciate the level of, of courage or what would you call it, Maria? What would you call like the ability to acknowledge, to accept, even if it's tricky? What's required for that? I think a certain kind of humility that we're not in control of everything. That's one. I think two, acceptance of the reality that life, that a, a good part of life is suffering or a good part of life is change or chaos or capriciousness, you know, the difficult so there's some humility, there's some acceptance, there's the courage to face it with an open mind and an open heart and see what good would grow from that anyway. I mean, I'm remembering now the day I had, a, you know, Tibetan Buddhist monks in my house and I was making them dinner while crying because I knew in my heart, my marriage was falling apart. I hadn't made that public yet. So I'm literally chopping vegetables, crying, and the Tibetan monk comes in. And this is a Tibetan monk who managed an orphanage of Tibetan refugee children. So he's feeding hundreds of children who had been starving, you know, months before. And I'm crying because I have, every, you know, I've got all this advantage in my life and my marriage isn't working. And so I'm, I'm embarrassed to be crying. And he asked me why I'm crying and I'm too embarrassed to tell him because it doesn't feel like legit, Right. And then he keeps pushing and I, in his very gent gentle Tibetan Buddhist way. And I said, you know, I'm like, oh, all right. And I tell him, you know, about, you know, my pain. And then I say, and I know that that's so little in the presence of the suffering of the world. And he said, oh, no, pain, all pain is good. And I'm like, what? He goes, no, 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 pain is very good. Feel more, feel more. I'm like, what? And he said, because pain is the doorway to compassion. We have to suffer so that we can feel compassion for others. And from the Buddhist perspective, that's why we're here. That's what we're here to learn is love and compassion for others, right? And so he's like, Good, bring it on, you know? So, I mean, I, I'm not there yet, but there is something wise about the reality that, you know, the world is burning right now. The world is burning. I could stop using plastic straws. I could buy a hybrid or an electric vehicle. I could change my napkins from paper napkins to reusable, stop using. I don't know that I can save a polar bear. I, I don't know that all that's going to add up to the species living. I don't know that my children's children are going to have a world where they can have the freedoms that we've had. I, I don't know. The world is burning and the world has burned before and we are remarkable. We are remarkable as peoples, as individuals, as tribes, as countries. We are remarkable in our capacity to rise. I think if nothing else, Carly, to go back to your initial question, like why are we here in this moment with this conversation is because it is, it is crucial. It is crucial that those of us who can, you know, who have enough food to wake up 
another day, who have a roof over our heads and we don't have guns pointed at us. Those of us who have the freedoms we have, it is crucial that we step up within ourselves to do what we can to build capacity to move forward so that when the moment is right, when the change is not so overwhelming, we can continue to offer whatever we're here to offer. There it is. I mean, tell me if I'm getting it right. Oh, and then I want to hear what I want to hear what you're going to say, Susan. But, you know, Maria, what you're offering, the way I'm hearing it is this, you know, we tend to the way we're navigating change as individuals with the awareness that if we can be compassionate to self, that we're opening up capacity to be there for others, too, which is part of what I really appreciate about your work. It's not just about me, me, me. It's I need to address what's going on for me because it's real. All pain is good, right? That pain is legit that you were experiencing in your kitchen and there's other pain. So how can I see that my care as also a mechanism for community care? How are those two things related? How do we show up for self and, and for others? Yeah. What were you going to say there, Susan? I was thinking that, that Maria is so on point as usual, that I have felt this embarrassment and hesitation to, to mention my pain or my suffering over over loss of my husband, because there are such much bigger, more difficult crises in the world. And yet it is so empowering and healing, Maria, to to be seen the way you see people. Hmm. And I just wanted to say how much I, I truly appreciate that. It, it's it's life changing. Hmm. Thank you, Susan. While you're mildly uncomfortable, I'm going to double down on it, Maria. But I have a theory about that, Susan, about Maria's ability to see us and to see others is because you've done this work yourself. You continue to do this work yourself, that what we're seeing, your capacity to hold space for us is a representation of of the space you hold for yourself and the way you continue to learn and to always be a student along with us. That's my Maria theory, part of why of why we appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So is there, I'm curious if there's anything else bubbling up in anybody else's head or heart that wants to be heard before we move on to doing some of these exercises, doing an exercise. Yeah, let's and learn let's build this. a little hope. Let's build. Yeah, a little let's hope. do it. Go ahead, Ryan. And then we'll and then we'll hop into it. So the last thing I just wanted to say is, is going back to what Meredith said about, you know, plastering on a mask and, and control. And I think that's something that's so very true, because sometimes whether it's for work or whether it's in a social situation that we do have to kind of sort of plaster on a mask and, and hide how we're feeling just for that particular moment, which is hard. We want to be in control of situations or control of what we're going through, but sometimes you can't. And as much as we want to be in control, letting the control happen, giving up the control and allowing things to just kind of happen naturally will work out better in the long run. And I've learned that the hard way, unfortunately, because you want to have control. And when you want control, you end up sometimes creating more chaos. And when you let go, it can diminish and be calmer. Yeah. Yeah. I love that what you did, something you just introduced, Ryan, which is the notion of chaos. And the way I translate that is I can make choices that either make things a little worse, (laughs) that either calm things down a little bit or maybe make things better. That's up to me. I mean, that that is where we do have control is in the choices that we make, like a choice to let things ride for a while, Ryan, like, like because you can't always push the river. That, that calms things down, right? I'm just going to see how this plays out. I'm not going to try and control every decision, every moment. I'm not going to right, manage everybody else. I'm just going to see how this plays out. That's a choice perhaps to calm things down. I love that. I had a very painful experience this week, but it was very, very growthful. When you say pain is a doorway to compassion, I think that's so true. It's certainly my experience. But I learned in a very painful way this week that it's not everyone's experience. It's not everyone's choice. And there are people who are experiencing pain and also creating pain and not choosing or don't have the capacity to see it as a doorway to compassion. And I mean, I think what I've learned the hard way in this particular case is to stay away from them. But I have my worldview is to see most people as good at their core. 
maybe they're wounded, maybe they're damaged. So I always extend this benefit of the doubt, but I extended it to the point where luckily a psychiatrist pointed out to me that the person I was dealing with does not have that worldview that most people are good. And probably for a good reason, she was incested as a very small child. So, but that doesn't change the responsibility. It's still a choice on her part. And it's just, it's just been a, like a tough lesson for me to really get, but I got it. I got it. I'm 68 years old. <laughs> I got it. You're a baby in this. So, um, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Karen, you might enjoy the latest work of Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. Her early work on self-compassion was about kindness and gentleness and tenderness toward oneself. And then she realized that that that's only, she calls it the yin side. That's only the one side of self-compassion, that being kind to oneself is actually sometimes requires the yang, which is the fierce boundary setting. Like I can appreciate your history. I can appreciate your destiny, your geography. I can appreciate the uniqueness of who you are. That doesn't mean I have to allow you to send me your poison darts every day. So there's also a fierce boundary setting side of self-compassion. Thank you, Carly, for the link. You might enjoy her, her latest work. Did Meg, who's in the room, we were talking recently about the Prentice Hemphill quote about sometimes the boundary is the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. That's the distance. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for that. So Maria, learned hopefulness. I've got my pen ready. What do okay, we do? Okay. So one of our beautiful researchers in the field, Dan Tomasulo, is a professor of psychology at Columbia University, probably one of the most delightful, joyful human beings I've ever met, incredibly creative soul. He published a book just recently called Learned Hopefulness, exploring the difference between people high in hope. And again, this is grounded hope, not fantasy, Disney, Hollywood, sparkle hope, though I do love sparkles. Versus low hope. And the benefit of having high hope is that it tends to cultivate within us a resilient growth oriented mindset and bring us to better places over time, not immediately, but over time. Well, one of the habits of high hope people is that they consciously search for three things, beauty. Now, by beauty, we mean natural beauty, but we also mean the beauty of moral goodness, moral excellence. So beauty in each other, kindness, generosity, um, sweetness. They search for beauty. They search for blessings. So that's, we might say that that's the things we can be grateful for, the things that we have been gifted or allowed to be present to, and benefits, how I've grown, what I've learned, what good emerged anyway from that difficult time. And so this is a powerful practice. Imagine that the next 21 days, 30 days, you decide that once a day, you're going to ask yourself, what is a beauty blessing and or benefit today? And you just write them down and then maybe savor them for a moment or bring them into your heart. But keep a journal, like keep like, just keep a list. Day one, beauty blessing benefit, day two. What begins to happen over 21 to 30 days when we focus our attention in this way is it doesn't deny or negate our pain, our suffering, our confusion, our frustration. It doesn't deny them. It simply builds a bridge between that reality and the reality of the good in the world. So we have a, a psyche, like a, a, a way of being, as well as a heart and a mind that are now more oriented toward balance. And when we have that balance of honoring the difficult as well as the good, that's where we actually make choices. That's where we actually take action. Because if all I'm focused on is the darkness or the difficulty, it's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to try new things. It's hard to listen to other people's guidance. It's hard to not eat the fifth Boston cream donut, which I did the other night when I was, <laughs> so, you know, like I just couldn't stop myself. And yet when we have a brain and a psyche that's more balanced, we are actually more likely to take action in a positive direction. We're actually more likely to call the friend who's helpful versus the toxic person. We're actually more likely to put the fifth donut down and go for a walk. We're actually more likely to bring self-compassion and just let ourselves feel our feelings and let the river flow for a little while, right? So simple practice, but highly impactful. The other thing I love, love, love about this practice 
this is my, my new passion, you all. When we attend to beauty, either physical beauty or moral beauty or the beauty of art, the beauty of music, you know, the beauty of excellence, there are actually what is called action tendencies that get triggered in us. And the action tendencies of attending to beauty are that we, we become inspired, we become motivated to be more like, like if I'm admiring an artist, to be more like the person. We are grateful. So those great neurochemistries of gratitude, neurochemicals of gratitude get triggered. We tend to be more appreciative out externally. So we tend to build like positive social connections around us. And we are kinder. Attending to beauty makes us kinder people. So that's an easy way to actually care for the self, you know, hunt for the good for oneself while shaping oneself in the direction of being kinder and more generous without having to do a lot of work. So if you did a 30-day practice of beauty, blessings, and benefits, you would naturally be more likely to not honk at the person in front of you, to maybe not scream at your child at four in the afternoon for the thing they do every freaking day at four in the afternoon, right? More likely to actually get yourself to a quiet place and, you know, pause long enough to be nice again, right? So yeah, tremendous, gorgeous research in the field of beauty that I'm looking into now. So I love this practice. So what do you say? Why don't we give it a whirl while we're here in the community? Take a beat. And if it's not easy to type in the chat, don't worry about it. But without any description, without having to give the whole backstory, type a beauty, a blessing, or a benefit. And all, you know, if you're an overachiever, all three are welcome. What is a beauty, a blessing, or a benefit? And I'm going to pull upon, you know, the thread that Meredith started about it being real, right? Being real. Siobhan, beauty to be here in this space with everyone. Maria, the bald eagle I saw on the mass pipe this weekend. Mm. Sandrine, to listen to my songs, to be here on this call. I put my newborn niece is healthy and happy. Mm. Kelly, what I'm feeling is the blessing of this space today, being able to connect with folks in this way and the beauty of the sunny, warm day in Michigan. Meg, living in presence allows me to notice and appreciate all the little things. Yeah, presence. Siobhan, to have a job that I love on a cruise ship. Yeah, there's got to be beauty in that too. Angela, the wind time outside my window. Amy, my rose is starting to bud this week. Ryan, the benefit of learning new things while being open-minded. Larry, I have a universe of great family and friends. Beth. Gorgeous spring weather, two new babies in our neighborhood, our family of four spending quality time with my parents last weekend. And Karen, my dog running to the bedside when my husband back. <laughs> and Meredith, the deep connection I have with my daughter that lets her share the full spectrum of feelings she experiences. What do we notice when we, when we hold these together as a community here? in this room, what do you notice about seeing all of these just organized quick from the top of our minds in, in one place? What comes up? I just realized I am, I'm breathing deeper automatically as I read through, I just like started breathing deep and a smile on my face. And so automatically I feel happier. Breathing deeper, smile happens. You feel happier. Thank you for that, Sandrine. When you smile, it's, it's contagious in the sweetest way too. I smile when I see you. Yeah. Very uplifting. It's really a good use of time when, when so much time gets wasted on, on a lot of swampy things. I love seeing that, that the cultivation of awareness around beauty, blessing, or benefit is a good use of, of our time or of our focus, of our energy. Kelly. There's so much goodness if we can turn towards it, mm-hmm. if we can turn towards it. Maria, what do you notice? You know, as I was reading the list, I got tears in my eyes because this kind of community of learn, you know, learning together is so important right now while we're still figuring out how to be out in the world socially. And because we are in such different places, and some of you I don't know, I haven't met before, 
it just cultivates in me a sense of hopefulness for humanity, that if we can have these pockets of shared learning and understanding of, of being honest about what's difficult and honest about what might be beautiful for us, you know, I, I just makes me feel hopeful for humanity. Yeah, to think about while the rest of, you know, when, when we end this call and we go about the rest of our days and some of us turn towards the dishes in the sink or back to work or whatever it is we're doing that all of these other people are out here appreciating beauty and blessings and benefits, right? And that this is happening simultaneously, that there are a lot of good things being recognized and cultivated in the world. Yeah. So with that, I'm curious, what is one thing that you've heard today? This is a, like a group question that you don't want to forget. If you only remembered one phrase or one word or one concept, and this could be something that Maria shared or somebody else shared, or it's just kind of rising up within you. What's landing? What are you going to put in your back pocket? Put that in the chat. Mm. Sandrine, hunt the beauty every day. Meg, the benefits of hopefulness. I really appreciate the way you break that down too, Maria. It's not just hope for hope's sake, which is good enough, but there's these practical purposes. Amy, yeah, this is an inside job. Mm -hmm. I think we have to do a little better than cross our fingers and hope for hope right now. You know, Maria, you remind me of that. This is something that we we lean towards intentionally. Live more, worry less, says Susan. Experiments build hope, says Karen. Yeah. Yep. Siobhan, being grateful brings more positivity in your world and other people's world. And that the benefits are courageous, says Meredith. One noticing for myself and then a noticing pointed out to someone else. Yeah. Anitza, my inner voice matters. How I speak to myself matters. It creates my reality. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's something that we do on the podcast that, and this is the first time we're doing a community recording. Normally we do what we call the, the Messy Magnificent two-way Q&A where I ask the guest a question, they get to ask the audience a question, and then we, we wrap up with, with a third question. These are kind of tongue-in-cheek and really playful. And I would love for you all to take part in this optionally if you want. So type your, your answers into the chat too if it speaks to you. Maria, are you game? Yeah, yeah. To cultivate a little joy here? All right, so here we go. Question number one. This is for Maria, but it's for all of us. I really want to know what's in the room. Maria, if you came with a warning label... What would it say? She never gives up. She never gives up. What a good warning. Mm -hmm. She never gives up. If you were going to ask a question of those here with us live or listening later on to the recording, based on this conversation, Maria, what do you want to know? I want to know what's working. What's working in your lives? What is working in your lives? Yeah. Oh, and I'm watching some of the warning label responses come in. I love, I love these. Anitza, emotions may arise. You are in good company um, with us here today. Kelly, incapable of small talk. <laughs> That's a great one. That's a great one. Kelly, I'm having the hardest time on the pickleball court. I joined a pickleball league last year and it's a lot of small talk. And there, there is this part of me that's like, Children are dying. Let's take this life seriously. Like I'm not so good at, I got to get better at it. Cause nobody wants to talk about that on the pickleball court, but. Yeah, you're in good, you're in good company here. So here's my last, my last question. And this is for all of us. I'm posing it to Maria, but for all of us, based on our conversation today, even if other people disagree, what is one thing you know to be true? What is one thing you know to be true? I know that we have no idea, no idea, the impact our positive gestures make across this globe. We have no idea the profound impact. You remind me one time, my grandmother had just passed away. I was still touring with clients, which meant just this breakneck pace. I was always on somebody else's schedule. And I had one day to move to move my apartment, you know, in Miami, 30 blocks down the road, knowing that I could get a call to get to the plane for a client in any minute. And I, I ran to Target 
to get a bed, like a new, a new cover for my, for my mattress. Cause it got dirty during the move. And I I'm in target, I'm in the line and it's Miami, it's downtown. It's, you know, packed in there. And I wait and I wait and I wait, I get to the front of the line. It's finally my turn. And the cashier says, I'm sorry, I'm done for the day. You're going to have to go wait in another line. And I was beyond exhausted, grieving at, you know, my kind of my, my wits end and all the other lines are, you know, 15 people long again. And I look and I just thought there's just no way. And I just, the tears are coming down and I just kind of gently put my item on the counter, you know, and just was walking out of the store. Like, there's just no way I can do this again. And a woman saw me, you know, as I was walking out and she said, Hey, 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 just come be in front of me. She was at the front of her line. Come be in front of me. I saw you wait, come be in front of me. And that moment I could, I could barely thank her because, you know, I'm feeling all the feels here. It is this deep grief, this extreme exhaustion and this beauty, this generosity of what for her felt probably like no big deal. And for me, meant the world and not feeling alone, feeling seen in that. And I thank you, Maria, for bringing this, this conversation forward. So I want to say for everybody here, I'll do one quick plug, which is that Maria and I teach this course live on navigating change. We've been doing it for five years and this year it's revamped. So I'm going to put a link to it in the chat. If it speaks to you, go check it out. If you have questions, I'll put my email here too. I really appreciate you being in this room and in this conversation. Maria, thank you for so generously sharing your time and your research and your stories and your insights with us. What are you going to take from this conversation? What am I going to take from this conversation? Yeah. What's one thing? What's one thing you're going to take? I am going to take uh, belief. Belief belief in, in, in us, in us as a people's. Mm. Belief in us as a people. So let's treat this as the beginning of the conversation, all of us, that it might continue to percolate and new ideas begin to formulate. This will come out on the podcast on May 30th so we can go deeper into it. I do encourage you to grab the Navigating Change guidebook that comes along with today's conversation and this season. Again, it's totally free and it's at the top of the chat and I'll put it in there at the bottom of the chat. So it's right here and we'll continue to navigate these kind of cultivations of beauty and blessing and benefit together. You know, I can't say that I'm surprised that this gathering of our messy, magnificent community was powerful. (laughs) But even though I'm not surprised, I am still entirely in awe. And so as we got to do for the first time, asking our messy and magnificent two-way Q&A questions to our live audience, I really want to encourage you to answer those for yourself too. Meaning, if you came with a warning label right now, what might it say? And what is one thing that even if other people disagree, you know to be true? I hope you'll take those answers over to iTunes and leave them in a review so that we can know where you're at. And I also hope that when you're doing that, when you're leaving a review, if you haven't done that yet, you let me know what's landing well for you in this episode and what you want to hear more of next. Every episode is based on audience questions and curiosity. I am all ears and all heart for what's real in your world right now. And if you enjoyed this conversation, if you've enjoyed this season or what you've just heard with Maria and I, I really do encourage you to join us on June 26th in person for the three-day Navigating Change Workshop at Kripalu Center. We would love to be with you. You can get the full scoop via the show notes right here. There's a link or go to my website, carlyfane.com, and it's all there. And that's also where you can get that Navigating Change guidebook that comes along with this season. I really encourage you to give yourself the space to go even deeper into today's episodes and all the episodes of this season. We gain so much when we get to see objectively on the page what makes sense now. And I just want to thank you as we wrap here for the season. Going seasonal with this podcast was a big change for us after so many years of having weekly episodes, and it wasn't without its challenges, but it has also been deeply, deeply rewarding. Thank you for being the type of person that wants to navigate change as a community and to see where it can take us. It is already taking us beautiful places. So remember... You thrive through nourishment, not punishment. One way to work healthier, not harder, is to consider the whole story before you, noticing the beauty, the blessings, and benefits wherever possible. 
I am so thankful that you are part of this messy and certainly magnificent community. Each episode here is only the beginning of our lifelong conversation together. Head on over to carlyfane.com for the full show notes from this episode and some extra special resources for high achievers that you won't find anywhere else.